Support for Charlotte Readers Podcast is provided by Charlotte Mecklenburg Library, a connector of readers, leaders, and learners with 20 locations and a 24-hour online presence at cmlibrary.org. Welcome to Charlotte Readers Podcast, where authors give voice to the written words. We're a proud member of the Queen City Podcast Network and the Authors on the Air Global Radio Network, a series of author-hosted podcasts uh, distributing literary content to a worldwide audience. I'm your host, Landis Wade, a recovering trial lawyer turned author turned podcaster of books and stories, and I really appreciate you being here. Very quickly, before we get to the uninterrupted interview today, a few quick words about some of the benefits uh, for our listeners. Number one, we have show notes uh, for every episode uh, with images, links, and information about our authors at charlottereaderspodcast.com. And number two, if you're into audiobooks, uh, we have a relationship with Libro.fm, which supports indie bookstores. If you sign up with Libro to get your audiobooks and use the promo code CHARLOTTEREADER, you'll get an extra audiobook free. Number three, if you go to charlottereaderspodcast.com or my personal website, landisway.com, and you sign up for the book report, you're going to get it every other Tuesday. And here's what you'll get. Recommended readings, author interviews and videos, reading and writing tips, doses of inspiration, a free ebook by yours truly, and more. We won't spam you. That takes way too much time. And finally, we've got a lot of great content that we put out on our exclusive Patreon channel. If you like what we do here, uh, that is our mission of helping authors give voice to their written words, and you'd like to help us uh, defray the costs of this project, you can jump over to Patreon, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast, and you can tap into all the great extra content we've got that's curated by our authors and me about uh, their writing lives and the craft and business of writing and other things too. But enough with the prologue. Let's get to the uninterrupted story of our guest and the one they've written. In today's episode, we visit with Robert Fitzpatrick, author of Ponzi Nomics, the untold story of multi-level marketing, an in-depth look at the industry of multi-level marketing and how the lack of regulation has ruined many lives. Hannah Martin, UK-based consumer activist and educator and co-founder of Talented Ladies Club, says, Ponzi-nomics is essential reading for anyone who wants to truly understand the MLM industry, where it originated, why it's not treated as illegal, and how it works, or rather, why it doesn't work for over 99% of participants. Authors, financial researchers, attorneys, and policy advisors say the book is one of the most comprehensive looks in an industry that has made some people at the top of every pyramid very rich, and many others who participate nothing more than financial losers. One reviewer calls the book a cogent expose of the pervasive and damaging presence of MLM in the American and increasingly world economy, a must-read not only for those interested in the specific nature of multi-level marketing, but also for anyone who cares to understand what moves us and how we are governed. Robert, welcome to the show. Thank you, Landis. Very, very pleased to be here. Yeah, and congratulations on the book, Ponzinomics. Yeah, it was three years in the writing. Yeah. And uh, represents uh, over 20 years of direct work in this field of pyramid schemes and Ponzi schemes. Yeah. So you say in your forward, Robert, that uh, 
you were lured into a delusional dream and financial folly with something called the airplane game in the late 1980s. T- tell us what happened. I'd like to talk about that as a foundation for this work. Yes, that was a pivotal moment for me. Uh, of course, I couldn't foresee where it would go. It was one of those seemingly serendipitous things. Uh, but uh, the airplane game is a Ponzi scheme, pyramid scheme. Today, uh, they go by various names. Uh, all these names are dis- virtually, they're disguises, actually, diversions. Today, these schemes are often called gifting skir- circles or gifting schemes. Uh, they're all the same. Uh, there have been others called Women Helping Women, Original Dinner Party, Corporate Ladder. Uh, Susu is another one that uh, mimics a, a certain uh, traditional savings plan. Uh, in the no- late 1980s, this one called, was called the Airplane Game, and it just burst into the South Florida scene where I was living at the time. Tens of thousands of people joined it, among them many of my friends. Uh, and and I was invited, like everybody does, by friends. And it had operated, uh, unbeknown to us actually at the time, uh, in many other parts of the country. New York City it originated, we think, in uh, Seattle area, but it was quite large in Texas on some college campuses as well. Yeah, Robert, let me just stop you there because I looked this uh, the airplane gain up on Wikipedia of, of all places beforehand, and yeah, it talks sure. about, it talks about you know, the common version back then was you were essentially joining an airplane by paying a pilot to become one of you know eight or twelve passengers. You would pay so much money, and then the idea was that when other passengers joined, you know you would get some of their money, but you'd have to you know put this money out in order for that to happen. And then, you know, at some point you would be retired as a passenger or whatever, and you'd leave the airplane. My question is, you're a smart guy. You've written a couple of books. You, you know you know what you're doing. Uh, th- that sounds like a too-good-to-be-true scheme. What what caused you to get wrapped up in it? Well, uh, of course, it was too-good-to-be-true <laughs> scheme. <laughs> That's really the whole purpose of uh, what I discovered and shockingly discovered. And, and my shock was, why didn't I see it? Mm-hmm. How could... I and friends of mine, professional people, college-educated people, have become enmeshed in such an absurd folly. But uh, here's the thing. Um, It it wasn't just about money. It was wrapped in a narrative, a philosophical narrative that at the time was called New Age. Today, it might be called prosperity theology, uh, if you're a Christian. Um, but it's it's also in our culture. It's it has embedded itself in our culture. The idea being that the world is is a, an abundant place, um, open for everyone to uh, prosper, and that the universe or God or whomever wants you to be prosperous, wants you to succeed. The only thing between you and that prosperity and success is you. It's your unwillingness to accept it. You're embracing negativity. You're clinging to a scarcity mentality. Um, you're uh, st- running away from opportunities as they come to you and so on. You haven't focused and visualized sufficiently to manifest this in your life. 
How's that sound? So, I yeah. mean, it's, yeah. it's, uh, it's really <laughs> gibberish, but uh, it's, it is presented all the time in religious and metaphysical or philosophical terms. And this was very popular among my friends and me uh, to some degree at that time. So there's the, there's the cover narrative okay. that you enter. And all pyramid schemes have a cover narrative. If it isn't that, it'll be called, it's it's a business, it's direct selling, or it's an investment plan or something like that. Yeah, we're going to talk about the differences, if any, that exist between multi-level marketing and pyramid schemes uh, in the course of the show. But but this experience that you had, which I assume you lost money in, you know, led you to write and publish a book in 1997 called False Profits. And from there, you were interviewed on 60 Minutes. You became an expert witness in, in a case against Amway and 30 other cases. You co-founded a nonprofit called Pyramid Scheme Alert. You're featured on all the major networks, uh, ABC, NBC, uh, you know, lots going on. And now you've published Ponzinomics, a comprehensive look at multi-level marketing. And I just want to talk about why you became so passionate about this topic and, uh, you know, how your advocacy in this area has been received by the multi-level marketing community. Uh, on a personal level, I, uh, I just re referenced a little bit earlier. I, I was personally astounded that I, when it when it was obvious to me that this was nothing more than a classic pyramid scheme. Um, I will say I didn't really know what a pyramid scheme was prior to that. I knew the word, but I really had never encountered one directly. Um, I, I, w when this occurred, I did go and and research it. To my dismay, I discovered there's very little written about pyramid schemes. That was one reason I felt I, I should write this, because I saw tens of thousands of people get involved, millions of dollars changing hands, a true mania sweeping the area, and a kind of hysteria, uh, and, and um, a fantasy world in which the participants all joined, so to speak. So I knew this was big. This was powerful to do this. But what was it? As I discovered, uh, very little written about it. Now, that was my motivator. You know, um, I, 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 am, I have some uh, studies in sociology. I have a degree in sociology. I've always been interested in social forces like this. And this certainly qualified. In the course of my writing, multi-level marketing companies, which uh, are really essentially the same endless chain scheme, recruiting scheme, but they have products involved. So the money is sort of laundered through product purchases. And, and, and let me just stop you there to ground our listeners a little bit, because what we're talking about here is rather than, uh, you know, somebody selling a product directly to someone else, most of the people in these uh, arrangements are making money because they are... Uh, getting other people to sell the product and they're buying the product from somebody above them and somebody above them and so forth. So less, less money is changing hands between the consumer and the person selling it than it is between the sellers and the sellers and the sellers. Is that that's right? That's correct. That, that's yeah. it. It's an internal money exchange going on. Uh, when they say you're a direct seller, in 20 years, I've never met a single person and I've encountered thousands of them yeah. in multi-level marketing that actually made money just by selling the product on a retail basis to a friend and neighbor on a consistent basis, enough to make it a worthwhile endeavor. It's an absurd notion in the 21st century that you would actually, because these products are commodity products, cosmetics, household goods, you know, alternative, you know, 
vitamin pills and things like that. Uh, you can get them in any store. You can get them online. Why would you need a, a direct seller for such mm -hmm. a thing? However, there is a second way you can make money. Uh, in order to qualify for that second way, you have to buy the product yourself. So you will buy the product monthly. And this, this second way is by recruiting others to get in on this too. And you can make money every time they make a purchase. They make money every time the people they recruit make a purchase. And, and so uh, you, you are connected in a genial, to a, an endless, infinitely long genealogical chain of so participants. Or so they say. Or so they say. Yeah. So that's how they, they create the, the foundation for making the claim that the income potential is literally unlimited. And, and you're going to have a reading in a little bit, uh, middle of the show, that's going to provide a statistic that's pretty stark in terms of how many people win and how many people lose at this game, if that's what we want to call it. But the second part of my earlier question, before I cut you off to kind of lay a definition in there, was how your advocacy has been received by the multi-level marketing community, uh, lawmakers and regulators. Can you speak to that a second? Yes. Um, regulators, lawmakers uh, are indicators that multi-level marketing, for, and I wanted to add this in because it isn't just personal for me. Um, as After I got into it, I discovered how really large this is. And when multi-level marketing came in, I, it now moved into the realm of millions of people. I could hardly meet anybody who hadn't encountered this, who hadn't solicited, who hadn't been affected. And some extraordinary impact on their lives, resulting in divorces, loss of friends, loss of their homes, ruin of their credit, and so on. So this was a big force in America, but barely ever spoken of. So I was one of the first to begin examining it analyzing it and writing about it in factual terms, using hard data, common sense analysis, and so on. And of course, it was extremely critical because I'm showing that, that it's presented as a, a formula for making money, and it is a surefire formula actually for losing money. So uh, yes, I received from the, that uh, group of people, not just the companies themselves who had, uh, labeled me anti-MLM, anti-business, socialistic, a loser, pathetic loser, bitter person who hates success, and so on. In other words, the philosophy they teach about you must believe in order to be a winner has a flip side. If you don't believe, you're a loser. You're yeah. nothing but a loser. Yeah, I think we've heard that uh, in the political realm also in the last four years, uh, that term loser. But you mentioned this in the book that it, it is not only just the loser term, but they call them a pathetic loser. Um, and that's someone who basically fails at this. That is, they're not doing enough to succeed, so to speak. It's not the fault of the multi-level marketing company. It's the fault of the person who's not buying in to what you've described in this book as sort of a cult-like existence. Yeah, the, the cult, a cult uh, is, a, is an authoritarian, rigid, uh, hierarchical organization people are lured into. Uh, and part, uh, one element of all cult organizations is to make the people inside feel that they are unique, enlightened, special. They have... Uh, 
they they are privileged and that anybody else is sort of cast out as sort of lost in a wilderness, unenlightened, fear-driven, scarcity, pathetics. Uh, you know, so when someone joins and then leaves, they are the most threatening to the cult. So what multi-level marketing does when people join it, they they show this too good to be true pro- uh, program, endless chain. You recruit five, they recruit 25. Pretty soon you've got hundreds of people feeding money up to you. They're all doing the same and so on. However, they also say from the first day, there's only one way you could lose in this. And that would be if you quit. Now, who quits but losers? So the Mm -hmm. only way you lose is if you quit. And the only people who quit are losers. And what is a loser? Someone attached to poverty, a person of low character, of poor ambition, someone who doesn't recognize success when it's right in front of them, and so on. It is a form of of perdition. In religious terms, it would be called a sinner, Mm. um, a a terrible sinner, someone who is doomed. And that's the way they portray it. So I became one of the doomed uh, naysayers who hated success. And, and I have a little file of hate mail that I receive on occasion. Uh, I, I will say that has diminished over time, but uh, uh, that's part of the belief system. The belief system cannot tolerate critical thinking. It cannot tolerate questions or criticism. You have to believe totally or not, you know, or you're out. Well, well thank, thank goodness for comedians because we, uh, of course, you can go on all the TV shows. You can get things published in, in journals and newspapers. But sometimes people get their news uh, from comedians. And John Oliver, uh, you you talk about this in your book. And I went and watched the video. He did a, a listeners out of YouTube. This is hilarious. John Oliver's YouTube video on multi level marketing. Not only does he does a, do a great job of explaining what multi level marketing and pyramid schemes are, but he puts a, he kind of pokes a little fun at it when he says. It kind of looks like a pyramid. Uh, if it looks like a pyramid, maybe it is a pyramid. You know, that old walk like a duck, yes. <laughs> walk like a duck kind of thing. But, uh, and you were actually in that uh, video. They interviewed you for that. But uh, uh, I, I, w- I would commend that to the listeners to go. Any, any thoughts on that? Uh, uh, yes. I also, that's, it's, it's 29 minutes in 29 minutes, John Oliver captured the whole thing <laughs> and it's even funny. So it took you 390 pages. That's right. That's right. Uh, now I've worked with them quite heavily. Uh, I worked with their producer, a woman named Liz Day works for the New York times now. And uh, they, they are very sophisticated. John Oliver's show is funny, but believe me behind it is some heavy duty uh, uh, very serious homework that they do, research and fact-finding. And uh, John Oliver's show, which was November uh, 2016, was the first, and I can say this because I've been so immersed in this and observing this and participant with media, it was the first major uh, media uh, uh, figure uh, that said it out loud Multi-level marketing is a scam, and it really doesn't matter which one you're talking about. There are hundreds of them. They're all fundamentally the same, and they all are going to produce the same level of losses, and they all function the same, and they're all making the same promise. That had never been said 
it, it's considered blasphemous. And, um, and because the government, and maybe we'll speak about this, has uh, sort of officially endorsed these schemes, politicians have and endorsed them and embraced them and, and promoted them even, it became legally difficult for anyone to say it out loud. Uh, and if you said it of an individual company, which I don't, I, I, I had to put a disclaimer in my book that I'm not claiming any one company is an illegal enterprise because they sue. They are litigious. They come after people who, who um, cross that line. But John Oliver crossed the line. He did make it humorous. He did make it generic. But of course, he had video showing all these various companies, Amway, New Skin, some of the others, Herbalife, uh, quite hilarious, really, yeah. what, he, what he showed. Not only that, very educational. Let's do this. We're going to come back and talk about the regulation issue, but uh, let's have a little reading first. You've got a section in your book here that uh, comes from the from the chapter entitled Losers, and uh, it, it actually begins um, with uh, it, it begins with this wor the words I want to share an exciting opportunity. And so let's start there and have you read that uh, section of the book, and then we'll talk some more about it. Yes, uh, and I, I begin on this term because I'm trying to show how multi-level marketing is impacting our total culture here, even changing the language. So the section begins, today, the term, I want to share an exciting opportunity, signals a similar societal change driven by MLM, yet one that cannot be defined merely as economic. This hallmark phrase signals redefinition and a new purpose of personal relationships. Friends and colleagues are now recruiters and prospects. Trust, affection, and shared experience are casually appropriated for opportunistic commercial purpose. Deceiving and misleading friends and family about the true nature of these solicitations is now considered normal. The ancient boundaries between the private and pecuniary are obliterated along with the parameters of work life and social life. In MLM, work is perpetual 24-7 and encompasses all relationships. All assume the new identity of contractor and all, all are expected to adopt the values and behavior of a branded corporation maximizing returns on each other. In myth and legend, MLM is famously for winners, a pathway to total success and unlimited wealth. Indeed, it is said to be the last remaining pathway to wealth in an era of consolidation, unaffordable housing, declining wages, wealth disparity, and even lowered life expectancy. MLM's amazing proclamation that it is a safe haven and the last best hope is made in every MLM website, recruiting video, and mass spectacle. Nevertheless, it is an easily documented fact that virtually everyone, 99.99%, who has ever participated in an MLM, and we are speaking of hundreds of millions of people worldwide over seven decades, failed, lost, or quit with zero financial gain, 
and that only begins the count of losers. Beyond those millions are the millions more who tried to warn them. These include whistleblowing bloggers who testified to MLM's income deceptions, market researchers who documented the absence of customers, consumer advocates who calculated the scale of losses and quitting rates, economists who traced the pathway of money flowing from the last one's in directly to the recruiters at the top, class action attorneys who gathered evidence of fraud and racketeering, cult experts who exposed mind control methods and concerned people the world over who tried to awaken their friends or family with common sense. They are also among the legions of losers. Their sparse and occasional successes are maddeningly outweighed by frustration, disregard, and rejection. As whistleblower, researcher into consumer losses, exposer of MLM deceptions, consumer advocate, and talking head critic in innumerable news stories and articles, I am prominent among those losers. Few have experienced loss over a longer period of time, but many others have lost far more. Uh, thank you for that, Robert. Uh, just on that last line, it says, few have experienced loss over a longer period of time. I assume you're referring to yourself. Do you feel like you're fighting, you've been fighting an uphill battle for so long and it just, it hadn't sunk in? Well, it's beyond an uphill battle. I, I don't, I think it's even beyond that. At the end of the book, I do address the question of why in, why in the world, uh, given the, the lack of response uh, and given the growth of the thing that I'm combating over this same period of time, spreading worldwide, uh, the industry now claims there are 120 million people worldwide were involved in 2020. That's one in 16 households on the planet Earth. 120 million is one in 16 households on the planet Earth are under contract to an MLM company at some point during the year. So, uh, you know, I, it's not like I have uh, uh, stopped this, <laughs> but uh, it's, it's not like that for me. And, and, and I think it is not like that for many other people. And I quote, uh, I, I refer to a quote that I, I believe uh, emerged during the, the Dutch War for Independence, that one does not have to have hope in order to persevere and, uh, or even to begin. You don't need hope. You just do it because it's who you are. And for me, uh, I think it's just self-evident that the value of, of doing this, and, I, and it's not like nobody has changed. Many, many people have learned from things I've produced and others have produced. Um, but it's just a part of life today in America. And um, for me, I, 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 want, I feel comfortable being on this side of history, mm. you know, on the, on the side of exposing and telling the truth about this. And, and I have found ways to do it through the website, through testifying in court cases as a professional, assisting the media, participating in documentaries, and so on. So it's so, part of who I am. So, Robert, uh, I'll just jump to this because I, ha I had this question as part of the Writing Life segment. And it, because you had mentioned this idea of hope when you were talking about how 
literary agents and publishers who talked about this work with you that, that, that became Ponzinomics, the untold story of multi-level marketing, had said to you, okay, at the end of this book, we need you to provide us some hope, some good stories that came out of multi-level marketing. And I'm, I'm assuming they're thinking like, you know, a novel has an arc, right? There's going to be a change. There's going to be this metamorphosis that for the character, whatever. But it just so happens in this particular story, that change hasn't taken place, right? No, it has not taken place. It's gotten worse over the years mm -hmm. that I've been involved. In terms of scale, it's gotten worse. But I will say, uh, and, and I kind of do put a, a marker on it with the John Oliver show. <laughs> that, and it really is a marker because I'm interviewed by the media quite often. I mean, media in Africa, the UK, uh, I mean, all over. Uh, this I just did one with the Virgin Islands. I mean, it's it's everywhere on the on the planet, and there are very few resources for people to turn to, including journalists. And I I have seen a tremendous sea change in the tone of journalists, the questions they ask in over the last three four years. There is now a, a Reddit, an anti MLM Reddit, with over six hundred fifty thousand members subscribers. There, there is a quite a large number now of YouTube video channels dedicated to exposing multi-level marketing. So the media is turning on multi-level marketing, and I think there is a change occurring. But, um, but, but one thing is that you mentioned earlier, and we'll just circle back to it: um, the courts, the FTC, the lawmakers are not turning. Uh, there's a powerful caucus you mentioned uh, in Congress led by the DeVos family, uh, because um, the DeVos family, I think, was instrumental in forming Amway. I believe you talk about that in the book. Yes. So, so officially, multi-level marketing is treated as legitimate, and you say the FTC sort of maintains a don't-look policy. Can you talk about why? Yeah, that's, that is uh, the, the powers that be, that is political, judicial, and um, – and, and academic, all treat multi-level marketing as a legitimate, viable, livelihood, income path, industry. Uh, they espouse all the pre all what I would call nothing more than pretenses and disguises as if they are valid and real. Um, now, uh, some of that is attributable to the sheer scale of propaganda and that has just poured over the country. I compared it to my youth when cigarette smoking was completely normal, normalized. Anybody who questioned it was treated as a communist or anti-business and uh, the government did nothing. Academia did nothing. And anybody in academia that questioned it often had their tenures threatened or they would be discredited in some way. Multi-level marketing is at that stage currently, but the, the change is beginning to occur. And I think it will follow the same arc that cigarette industry did too. Eventually, public understanding grows to such a, a level that the government can't maintain the don't look policy. But how did they get to the don't look policy? It's just, and I, I had to shift in the book to a different era. I think to cut through to this, it's old-fashioned political corruption, influence buying, which I called boodling, which is an old term that was used in the turn of the 
20th century, the beginning of the 20th century, boodling and bribing. We call it influence buying, lobbying, soft money, and so on, consulting, you know, and uh, revolving door. This was considered at another era for a political office holder to sell their influence as a kind of treason. But that's really all it was. They, they have spent, uh, Betsy DeVos said when she was uh, being interviewed for her position as the uh, Trump appointed head of American schools, Betsy DeVos, who was a champion for privatizing schools, that her family had contributed over 200 million, contributed $200 million into political campaigns and political parties. She's only one aspect of MLM. Uh, there are many others and many other candidates that are closely identified with multi-level market. Donald Trump himself spent 10 years as an MLM spokesman for a company that's based right here in North Carolina called ACN. And, before, and during that time, he also uh, gave his name to a new MLM called Trump Network. That one went bankrupt in about 18 months. Mm. Um, so it is entrenched. It pours millions of dollars into the political coffers of the Republican Party. But let me just add one more factor that I think is relevant. It isn't just money. It, there's also a political uh, convenience factor here. Because what is multi-level marketing saying to the world, to, to all these suffering consumers and workers of, of, of America, that um, opportunity is fully available to you. If you're not succeeding, it's your fault only. Uh, the program works for those who work the program. There are no excuses. It's here for you. Okay. Now, we know that what that message is attached to is an endless chain scam proposition. But overall, it is essentially a very attractive political message of originally the political party was the Republican Party who embraced this. And Ronald Reagan was the candidate who really brought multi-level marketing into the fold. And he even went and spoke in his second year of office uh, at, an, at an Amway event. And he owed a lot of votes to Am Amway campaign for him powerfully and nationally and contributed huge amounts of money to it. So there has been a political kind of alliance between the, the messaging of MLM attached to a scam proposition and the political message, ideological message of the Republican Party that there's no need for unions social security, safety nets, or uh, anything involving government, it's all available to you in the market mm -hmm. if you will just avail yourself of the opportunity. So there's a convenience factor here that uh, where multi-level marketing serve the interest of the political class, and they in turn got the regulators to just look the other way to let this messaging proliferate uh, you know, in the population. Yeah. So uh, listeners, we're going to jump over in just a minute here to our Patreon channel, and we're going to dive deeper into this uh, topic of challenges in writing about controversial nonfiction topics. And uh, we're going to sort of talk about those challenges that Robert faced when he was working uh, on this book and previous books and 
maybe some of the hate mail and some of the lawsuits that went along with it. But before we do that, Robert, since we're about out of time, I just got uh, one observation and uh, one final question. The observation has to do with the uh, book cover. Um, we sometimes talk about the book cover here. And on your particular book cover, you feature a painting, The Conjurer, a, a painting uh, around the year 1502 about uh, – you know, how people were fooled <laughs> by their lack of alertness and insight. And it sort of created this spellbounding tension that reappeared in later paintings. But um, that seems like a, a perfect fit for your message, right? That uh, sort of sleight of hand? Sleight of hand, yes. Uh, it's a Hieronymus Bosch painting from the 1400s. And what it shows is a, uh, a scam artist. He's got a, a a little game that he's playing and and there's a, a kind of a, a, a wealthier person is uh, bending over the table trying to figure it out and beat the game. Uh, and while he's bent over doing that, there's someone behind him picking his pocket <laughs> okay. who is probably an accomplice of right. the guy running the game, right? Yeah, so exactly. he's going to lose at the game and he's probably going to lose his wallet while he's trying to beat the game too. Uh, that's 600 years ago <laughs> that, uh, you know, the, that painter understood the, the nature of uh, folly and, and, and scam. And, mm. and so, yes, I, I thought, and that was, you know, done on the streets, not, not up in the high finance world or the high levels of the church. This was a street level scam run in the medieval era. And our medieval, our equivalent are multi-level marketing schemes where here, come up, give us, give us your money. We'll show you how to make so much money. You won't know what to do with it. And while you're doing that, your wallet is disappearing. And, and I'm sure that uh, they've gotten very sophisticated and they've created contracts with uh, disclosures and information. And if you sign up, you've got to do this and you've got to do that. But ultimately, what, what's probably not being disclosed, almost like you say with cigarette smoking, is the, the harmful effects it can have and how many people are actually going to lose at the end of the day uh, if they get invested in this. And the one common denominator between what went on with the cigarettes and what's going on with Ponzi-level marketing, uh, money. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I, I had I had an author on, or he'll be on, Gene Hoots wrote a book about going down Tobacco Road, and he talks about the significant influence that tobacco had on the economy of North Carolina and uh, how much can be attributed to that. Well, the same thing is you know, going on here, you got lots and lots of money that's uh, changing hands. Anyway, we got to kind of wrap it up, uh, Robert. Um, tell us what you hope readers can uh, can take away. If they had one thing you wanted them to take away from this book, what would it be? Well, let me see two things. For anybody okay. who encounters multi-level marketing, uh, this is, I wrote it because there wasn't a resource. There wasn't one single book in the whole world up to this point that told the whole story. Where did this thing come from? Treated it as a phenomenon. And what is it exactly? Methods it uses. Why is it treated as legal? So for anybody who had a question, and I get questions all the time on our website, this that's one main reason. The second reason is I wanted people to see the impact of multi-level marketing on the culture. It is a significant force. We've, we've seen recently QAnon, We've seen evangelical Christianity. We've seen other forces that many people had not paid close attention to suddenly burst out and have an impact on everybody, reshape our political world. Multi-level marketing is a force of that scale. 
It's an Orwellian force. It's authoritarian force. It is an early pioneer in the culture of, of alternative facts, mm -hmm. uh, the, the culture of, of fantastical unreality and, and in which facts are routinely distorted or denied and, and replaced with, with fake facts. So I, I wanted, the, you know, as anybody that would read it, you don't have to have been involved in multi-level marketing. It's a, it's a kind of a sociological uh, expose of a force that has not been examined yet. Uh, and, and, and it deserves to be examined. And if we ignore it, um, it it's not going to help us to, to keep ignoring it. Yeah, well, it's a fascinating book, uh, Ponzi-nomics, the untold story of multi-level marketing. A lot of good information in it, a lot of warnings that uh, you should pay attention to if someone offers uh, this great opportunity to you. Uh, listeners, the channel is patreon.com, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com forward slash Charlotte Readers Podcast. That's where uh, Robin and I are headed next to talk about uh, this topic of the challenges of writing about controversial nonfiction topics. You can join there. You can help support the podcast. You can access uh, that episode and all other episodes we've released on that uh, channel as well. So join us over there. Hey, Robert, I want to thank you uh, for this uh, for this work, this passion you put in, and also for being on Charlotte Reader's Podcast. You can add that to the resume now. Absolutely, and I will. Th thank you so much, Landis. I really appreciate the opportunity to talk with you too. Well, that's it for today. Another fine author giving voice to the written words. You can subscribe to this podcast for free at Apple Podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and most any podcast platform you like to listen to your podcast on. If you like what we're doing, please consider leaving a short written review on Apple Podcasts or the podcast platform of your choice, because when you do, our authors' voices travel much farther and wider in podcast land. And if you're inclined to help us help authors give voice to the written words, and you'd like some member-only content cultivated by our authors and me as our thanks, please consider becoming a member supporter. You can find out how to become a member supporter and more about today's show and all previous episodes at charlottereaderspodcast.com. Thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. I'm Landis Wade for Charlotte Readers Podcast. Charlotte Readers Podcast is a member of the Queen City Podcast Network, powered by Ortho Carolina. For more information, go to queencitypodcastnetwork.com.